This is Ham College, Episode 104, for September 1st, 2023. Ham College is brought to you by ICOM. Keep your competitive contesting edge with ICOM. ICOM's high-power base stations cut through polyps, letting you work the bands and record those contacts. Contest from the comfort of your home or remotely with the RSBA1 app. Heard it, worked it, logged it. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ham College. I'm Professor Thomas. And I'm Dean Martin. And still never gets old, does it? Not to me. I'll have to ask the people out there. They they keep coming back. They they do keep coming back. Thank you for that. They're passing the test, too. That's the most important part. That's why we're here. So we're studying for the amateur extra exam here. We're both extras and have been for a number of years now. Yeah. But there's still a lot of people that are upgrading, and the questions have gotten a little bit tougher than they were back when we took the exam. I'll say. So it's good for us to study this stuff again, too. Yeah, except, except one of us don't really study much, so. Well, but I'm going to learn you as don't we go along. Me. I'm going yeah, to school you. <laughs> I notice you're wearing the colors tonight, the Hawkins, Hawkins Middle, Middle School. School. Yeah. I understand there's a new season of Stranger Things coming. Yeah, I don't know when it's coming, but sometime soon, I think. Yeah, those. They probably have children by now. Yeah, no kidding. They probably do. They, they're getting a little older, but uh, probably not in middle school anymore. No. But but it's still a pretty cool shirt. The first the first season's still the best. What did we talk about last month? Do you recall? Let's see if I can remember. Um, yeah, I think we talked about digital <laughs> digital signals. Something's telling me it was uh, digital signals, digital communication modes. Maybe a little information rate versus bandwidth and error correction stuff in there too. Best I recall. Mm, certainly, we can use all the error correction we can get. Yeah, they're pretty good in the chat room about that. So yeah. if you're watching and you're not in the chat room, join them for the error yeah. correction. This month, we're going to be talking about keying defects and overmodulation of digital signals, digital codes, and spread spectrum. Oh. Yep. It's even hard for me to say that sometimes. So, yeah, well, it might be yeah. hard for me to pass tonight, so we'll see how it goes. I usually ask you the first one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, why don't you ask me the first one tonight? Why are received spread spectrum signals resistant to interference? A, signals not using the spread spectrum algorithm are suppressed in the receiver. B, the high power used by a spread-spectrum transmitter keeps its signals from being easily overpowered. C, the receiver is always equipped with a digital blanker. D, if interference is detected by the receiver, 
it will signal the transmitter to change frequency. Huh. Hmm. Why are received spread spectrum signals resistant to interference? Well, let's start at the top here. Hey, signals not using the spread spectrum algorithm are suppressed in the receiver. So that's a possibility. Let's see what else we got. B, the high power used by a spread spectrum transmitter. We can stop right there because spread spectrum doesn't use high power. So we're going to say it's not B for sure. C, the receiver is always equipped with a digital blanker. No. D, if interference is detected by the receiver, it will signal the transmitter to change frequencies. Mm, no. So I'm going to say it's a signals not using the spread spectrum algorithm are suppressed in the receiver. I think it's a... So maybe a little explaining? That would be good, because I'm not sure that I understand exactly why that's the case. Well, that is the case, and you'll just have to take my word for it. Is that the explaining you're going to do? I'm going to actually do a little more explaining than that. Okay. Spread spectrum generates a signal deliberately spreading over a wider bandwidth. Spread spectrum techniques are used for the establishment of secure communications, increasing resistance to natural interference, noise, and jamming, to prevent detection, to limit power flux density and satellite downlinks, and to enable multiple access communications. Efficiency of a modulation scheme is normally higher when a narrower bandwidth carries a large amount of data. Spread spectrum does exactly the opposite. The signal is spread over a very wide bandwidth by varying the carrier frequency at a fast predefined spreading code sequence. The power density of the signal is very low because it's spread over a wide range. A normal receiver will see the spread spectrum signal as wideband noise. The signal may be below the noise floor of a conventional receiver and thus undetectable, while a spread spectrum receiver will still receive it. A spread spectrum transmitter and receiver both use the same spreading code. So the receiver tracks the very narrow transmitted frequencies and ignores others. This will prevent a much stronger non-spread spectrum signal from interfering with the desired narrow carrier signals. Using different spreading codes, several different spread spectrum signals can occupy the same frequencies simultaneously. CDMA, Code Division Multiple Access, is an example of this. So if we're looking at the picture there, uh, the normal signal, that would be, uh, well, like we're talking about a narrower bandwidth uh-huh. carrier. And then down in the sort of bluish-green color, that's uh, simulating a spread spectrum signal. And it's not all occupying that wide bandwidth there continuously. It's moving around and putting the carrier in different spots in that bandwidth there. And so the signal level is so low that a normal receiver doesn't even notice it. It's down at the noise floor. But a spread spectrum receiver that knows what frequency to look at can detect it, and it'll ignore a stronger signal on there. 
Yeah, it makes sense. After uh, when I said that I didn't really quite get it, and then you, right about the time you started talking, I, it kind of clicked on me about what it's. You got it. Suppressed. Yeah. Yeah, in the receiver. So I, I understand that. What spread spectrum communications <laughs> techniques uses a high speed binary bit stream to shift the phase of an RF carrier? Is it A, frequency hopping? B, direct sequence? C, binary phase shift keying. D, phase compandered spread spectrum. What spread spread spectrum communication technique uses high speed binary bit stream to shift the phase? I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go with C on that, just because it basically says the same thing. I'm probably wrong. What spread spectrum? I'm going with C. Okay. You got a one in four chance. That's true. 25% chance. Uh, chat room. Oh, a, I see some B, C's. C. So. My initial four. my initial was to say A, but then I got to reading them. And C is just like, it's probably a setup answer. So I'm probably going to regret it. it. It actually is a setup answer, I think. <laughs> Oh, wow. Oh. I was completely wrong. Everybody was wrong. B, well, one person got it. Chip got it. Oh, Chip got it. Of course. I figured Chip you would, would get it. You'd expect Chip would yeah. get it. It's hard to stump Chip. Yep. Some splaining? Please. While there are several methods to produce spread spectrum signals, because amateur radio is not allowed to encrypt transmission only frequency hopping and direct sequence methods may be used. Direct sequence uses a very fast binary bit stream to shift the phase of the unmodulated carrier. Direct sequence is often used to transmit digital information. Two examples are BPSK, binary phase shift keying, and QPSK, quadrature phase shift keying. So why was your answer wrong if that's two examples? Hmm. That's, I want to file a complaint. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Nobody's going to listen to it. No, Just like the not. other complaints I usually file. Yeah. That seems kind of strange. <laughs> yeah. Um... You've heard of a PSK-31? Yeah. Phase shift keying. Mm hmm But, yeah. There we go. Okay. So it's, it's number B just because. Yep. Well, they're, they're taking a, a bit stream and they're directly changing the carrier frequencies going by what that bit stream is. That makes sense. I mean, that'd be as long as the receiver and the transmitter are both using the same sequence of bits. They're ignoring everything else and just going to the the same frequencies. Interesting. All right, it's your time for the buzzer, brother. How does the spread spectrum technique of frequency hopping work? Oh, I think we just had a little. A, if interference is detected by the receiver, it will signal the transmitter to change frequencies. 
B, if interference is detected by the receiver, it will signal the transmitter to wait until the frequency is clear. C, a binary bit stream is used to shift the phase of an RF carrier very rapidly in a pseudo-random sequence. D, the frequency of the transmitted signal is changed very rapidly according to a pseudo-random sequence also used by the receiving station. Okay, how does spread spectrum technique of frequency hopping work? Um, well, that's a lot of wordy answers. It is. Let's look at D there. The frequency of the transmitted shift. That's really hard Let's to say. Say that three times here. real fast. The frequency of the transmitted signal is changed very rapidly according to a pseudo-random sequence also used by the receiving station. Essentially what's, that's it. That's what you just said. Well, I'm saying that's the answer. Yeah. That is frequency that's hopping. That's basically what you just, yeah, you just read it over there just a few minutes ago. No. I'm, I said that's one of the w- ways we can do it. Well, I knew I heard it somewhere. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with D. Rather than read all the other ones, that may not be a good idea. Um, they're mixing the chat room on this one too. A D C. What C say? C is a binary bit stream is used to shift the phase of an RF carrier very rapidly in a pseudo random sequence. But. A bit stream wouldn't be pseudo-random. A bit stream would be whatever the bits are. You know, it wouldn't be a... I'm going to D. And it is. Hmm. I just happened to have one sentence to say about that. <laughs> a whole sentence? Uh-huh. That's the reason I knew I had not really said it yet, because I knew it was... It was yet to come. Okay. It was in the future. Frequency hopping uses pseudo-random list of frequencies to vary carriers many times per second. How that works is basically we're creating two lists. Well, actually one list that has what appears to be random sequences of carrier frequencies we're going to transmit. And that list is shared with the receiver, so the receiver knows, all right, we'll get the first bit's going to be on this frequency. The next bit's going to be on this frequency that appears to be random, but it's not really because we know what it is. We've had the list shared with us. So to any other receiver, it's just going to look like noise. But since both of them have these tables of uh, sequences, the transmitter and receiver both know what frequency the next bit is going to be on. So it's frequency hopping. But since the list is shared, we both know where we're going to hop to. Yeah. Interesting. I say that a lot, don't I? I catch myself saying, but it is kind of interesting you think about it. It I mean, it's stuff you kind of take for granted when you're sitting there using those modes. Yeah. Like, I've kind of often wondered what... You know why the frequency changed like that on some of them? You can see it on the display. Oh yeah, yeah. You can see the frequency shifting. 
Um, yeah, Mike says pursuit of random is kind of maybe. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's not really random, but sort of like it. I think that's Kevin in there says the, ch- the challenge of frequency hopping is timing dependence. And it is really important that you oh, yeah. follow, they mm-hmm. are synced up exactly. That's one of those mm-hmm. softwares you usually sync up to the uh, one of the time clocks of the Internet. Yeah. Uh, frequency hopping or uh, direct sequence, either one. Timing has got to be right on the money. What is the primary effect of extremely short rise or fall time? On a CW signal. A, more difficult to copy. B, the generation of RF harmonics. C, the generation of key clicks. Or D, limits data speed. Primary effect of extremely short rise or fall time on the signal. CW signal. Copy. I don't think it would be more difficult to copy for CW. It's got to be C. I don't think it can limit the data speed either. If anything, it seemed like it might speed it up. Uh, the generation of key clicks, C. That's the one that makes sense. Okay. There's a little mix in the chat room in there, and I can see why. Uh, why would it why close RF are. harmonics? Um. It's a good question. But uh, you're going with C. I'm going with C, but maybe I don't fully understand the question, though. But that's maybe you I'm do. Saying. Maybe. I'm going with C, though. Oh. Obviously, you do. You're all over the answer there. Well, those others didn't make sense to me, but I, somebody, they must have made sense to somebody. I don't understand. Yeah. A key click. That's going to mean that the tone is not... Well defined. There's going to be some artifacts to it. Um, when the transmitter is keyed, it's not going to be a smooth dit or a smooth dot. It's going to have some rough edges or, or artifacts to it. Huh. We got one more question on this, and then I—I well, I got lucky on that one, then. I, didn't, you, I guess I, I mean, didn't under, fully understand. It could almost the picture I had in my mind was kind of different than what you're saying. Well, I've got a picture here in a minute. Okay, we're going to look at it. Let me see it. Well, we're not going to look at it yet, <laughs> but almost. How about this one for you? What What is the most common method of reducing key clicks? A, increasing keying waveform rise and fall times. B, low-pass filters at the transmitter output. C, reduce keying waveform rise and fall times. Or D, high-pass filters at the transmitter output. Well, there's a bunch of answers there that sound like it could be, but there's only one of them that's right. So let's let's look at them. Uh, what is the most common method of reducing key clicks? A, increasing keen waveform rise and fall times. No. Uh, you know, that we just said, having real fast rise and fall times causes key clicks. So it's not that. B, low-pass filters on the transmitter output. 
almost sounds like it could be uh, D high pass filters on the transmitter output. Now that's right, the opposite of low pass. It's it's C reduce keen waveform rise and fall times. Reduced. I'm saying it's C. The chat room. They're a little mixed on it. Well, it seems like A to me, so uh, I'm glad you got this one. Well, let's see. It is a increasing waveform. Okay, I'm thinking about it backwards. That is second buzzer. Yeah, one we're each. tied. Go th- Hawkins Middle School. I'm thinking about it backwards. Oh, that's that's just what it is. Let's look at a picture here. Okay. And that's pretty at much the, exactly what I had in my mind. Yeah, oh. at the top there, sharp rise and fall times is like square waves. Very sharp corners on the wave. Those generate harmonics and key clicks. So increased rise and fall times, which is, I was thinking of it exactly backwards. But we round off those corners. So the transmitter doesn't instantly turn on and off. There's a little ramp and a little trailing off of each pulse there. Mm -hmm. That reduces key clicks, kind of rounding off the corners on the wave. We're not changing the frequency. We're just making them transition slightly more gracefully. So really, two questions back, there were two right answers. Yes, sort of. The one but was that's more not right. the one they were looking for, though. So, I mean, yep. the one was a, related to the rise and fall times, not the harmonics. So just remember that. What did you say we take a quick one? Keep your competitive contesting edge with ICOM. ICOM's high-power base stations cut through polyps, letting you work the bands and record those contacts. Contest from the comfort of your home or remotely with the RSBA1 app. Heard it, worked it, logged it. The IC7851 gives you a new window into the RF world and is HF excellence unparalleled. With faster processors, higher input gain, higher display resolution, and a cleaner signal, it's truly the pinnacle of HF perfection. Dual receivers, digital IF filters, memory keyer, digital voice recorder, high-resolution spectrum waterfall display, enhanced PC connectivity, and SD memory card slot. The IC7610 is the SDR every ham wants. This high-performance SDR can pick out faint signals in the presence of stronger adjacent signals. The ICOM IC7610 is a direct sampling, software-defined radio that has changed the world's definition of an SDR. RF Direct Sampling System, 110 dB RMDR, independent dual receivers, and dual digicell. ICOM's IC7300 is a high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed your expectations. This innovative HF transceiver digitizes RF before various receiver stages, reducing the generated inherent noise in different IF stages. This is a radio that changed the way entry-level HF is designed. RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and SD memory card slot. 
The real HF fun starts here. For more information about ICOM's amateur offerings, visit icomamerica.com slash lineup slash amateur. What do you say we give away something? How about this shirt? I found okay. this nice shirt. It's a really nice one. Ham Crew t-shirt from ICOM. Look just as good when you leave in the ham fest as you did when you got there. As a matter of fact, there was a couple that came up to me, introduced themselves. I think you were there. And and said, look, we got our swag on. And they, they t- showed both sides of their shirts. They sure did. And you know... Jesse would probably stick a little something extra in that box if you win. Yeah, he's a good guy. Wouldn't be a bit surprised. Yep. So, this, they're good. They're great t-shirts. I love mine. Actually, I almost wore the green one tonight, but I always feel funny in front of the green screen. You never know, do you? <laughs> it's the luck of the draw on wearing green. We drew a winner. Chicken dinner? Just, just moments ago. Who might it be? It's uh, someone we've seen in the chat room quite a bit here. It's Francis Flynn, KM1Z. I've been watching since almost the beginning. I've enjoyed it all. Awesome. Congratulations. Fran, you're going to be the best rest time at the next ham fest. Be sharp when you get there and when you're carrying all your new gear out. Congratulations. If you would like to win that, there is a way that you might possibly win next month. Yeah, that's pretty easy. Just send us an email at hamcollege at amateurlogic.tv. Uh, you don't have to put a note in there or anything else. Uh, just basically send that. If you mm-hmm. want to put a note in there, we always like to read them, but uh, it's not required. It gives us a little extra something to talk about. We always need something to talk about. I got a question for you. Uh-oh. Maybe I answered it. What is the advantage of including parody bits in ASCII characters? Oh. A, faster transmission rate. B, the signal can be overpower interfering signals. Yeah, read that again. Yeah. B, the signal can be... <laughs> B, the signal can overpower interfering signals. C, foreign language characters can be sent. D, some types of errors can be detected. What is the advantage of including a parity bit in ASCII characters? Have we talked about parity bits last time? Was it last month? Last it's, episode. It's, I can't remember if it was last month or the one before that. So, mm-hmm. because I have uh, somewhat of memory left, it's not completely gone, I want to say that hmm? it's going to be <laughs> D. Some type of errors can be detected. The chat room is all in concurrence on that one they have great memories as well i'm gonna agree with you and it is d and you just had a memory that was a month old (laughs) don't tell anybody this is what you remembered right here i think we all remember that just like it was a month ago yeah at the address shown at the bottom of that page, you can learn more about the parody bit. You could go back and review the last episode of Ham College and and find out because that's what we talked about. Now, this next question here seems like maybe it was covered last month, too, but I, I know it wasn't. What is a common cause of overmodulation of AFSK signals? A, excessive numbers 
of retries. B, ground loops. C, bit errors in the modem. D, excessive transmit audio levels. What is the common cause of overmodulation of AFSK signals? Uh, excessive number of retries. That really didn't have anything to do with overmodulation. I mean, maybe you were trying to receive it, but uh, we're talking about doing the overmodulation here. It's not ground loops. It's not bit errors in the modem. Overmodulation, whether it's AFSK or just about any other mode, it's going to be excessive transmit audio levels. So, D. That's my answer. You're sticking to it. Everybody in the chat room is sticking you to it, You don't want to follow, phone a friend or anything like that? I don't think I need to on this That's one. probably not necessary. You but just in case, what, what would you say? Oh, it's definitely D. Okay. There we go. Easy enough. I'm surprised they would even ask that one on the extra exam. Yeah. Yeah. If anybody's done the digital modes, most people probably know that one. Yeah. Whether it's digital or not, anything. Well, I mean, yeah, it also makes sense. Yeah. What parameter evaluates distortion of an AFSK signal caused by excessive input audio levels? A, signal-to-noise ratio. B, baud rate. C, repeat request rate. Or D, intermodulation distortion, or IMD. What parameter evaluates distortion of AFSK signal caused by excessive input audio levels? Signal-to-noise? No, I don't think so. Baud rate, nope. Repeat request rate? Nope. I think it's going to be D. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be D. Intermodulation distortion for IMD. I would say that is um, a good answer there. Chat room, a little mixed on that, but I'm I'm going with you. I'm saying it's uh, modulation distortion. There you go. Distortion. We're we're talking about distortion. What parameter evaluates distortion? Signal to noise ratio is not distortion. That's just noise. Yeah, right. Yeah. A uh, baud rate. That's, that's not, not distortion. That's not how you evaluate the distortion. Repeat request rate. I'm not even sure if that's a thing, but it sounds like it could. You know. It could be. It could be something happens if you have distortion. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But to evaluate it, yeah, it's intermodulation distortion because you actually. You can put a number to that. Yeah. The others just didn't make sense Yeah, to me. Okay. Glad this one's yours. What is considered to be an acceptable maximum IMD level for an idling PSK signal? That's uh, intermodulation distortion, as we just mentioned. A, plus 10 dB. B, plus 15 dB. C, minus 20 dB. 
or D minus 30 dB. What is considered an acceptable maximum IMD level for an idling PSK signal? All right, I'm thinking idling PSK is, you know, PSK, you can be typing while it's being sent. Mm -hmm. So if you pause between letters or words, you know, there's just a steady tone there for a little bit. So I'm thinking that's what they're talking about, not when the... You know, the signal's phase shift keying, but but just sitting there steady. All right, so let's look at A and B there, plus 10 dB and plus 15 dB. That's pretty crazy because that's like 10 dB and 15 dB higher than what you're sending. Mm-hmm. So um, now it wouldn't be one of those. So I'm going to say it's got to be C or D. Yep. C would be better, uh, minus 30 dBm. That means that, you know, that's that much lower below zero, which dB, which would be your reference level. So uh, I'm going with minus 30 dB um, just because that's a better figure. 20 sounds a little bit high. Let's just see. For For idling. Uh, they're a little mixed on that in the chat yeah, it's room. it's kind of tough one. It's not really something I don't think a lot of people just think about. Yeah, it's definitely this guy. C or D, though. It's not A or B. Those are kind of unrealistic, but it is D. And I, I just... I'll give you that. All right, well, I don't really deserve it. I just happened to remember that. it when I was... Me talking to you. Yeah, so... Uh, and it's it's better, you know. Thirty is minus thirty is better than minus twenty. So. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's see if you remember the answer to this next one. How am I going to remember it? Ooh. Well, you could time oh, travel. No. <laughs> what are some of the differences between the Bodat digital code and ASCII? You might get this. A, BODOT uses four data bits per character. ASCII uses seven or eight. BODOT uses one character as a letter figure shift code. ASCII has no letter figures shift code. Man, you talk about wordy answers. Yeah. B, BODOT uses five data bits per character. ASCII uses seven or eight. BODOT uses two characters as letters slash figures shift codes. ASCII has no letters, figures, shift code. C. BODOT uses six data bits per character. ASCII uses seven or eight. BODOT has no letters, figures, shift code. ASCII uses two letters, figures, shift codes. Okay. D. It's not D. Well, you had not read D yet. Oh, well, I'm ready to just jump straight in for the kill on here. <laughs> D. <laughs> D. Bodot uses seven data bits per character. ASCII uses eight. Bodot has no letter figures shift code. ASCII uses two letters Slash figures, shift codes. 
Well, ASCII doesn't use shift codes, so it's not going to be D. It's not going to be C. It's got to be A or B. What I use is four data bits per character. ASCII uses seven or eight. The seven or eight can be one character as a letter. Shift figure code ASCII has no letters. But I uses five data bits per character. ASCII uses seven or but I uses two characters as letters. Shift codes ASCII has no. It's either A or B. I want to say it's a B because the five data bits is kind of clicking in my head. Not key clicks like I got too (laughs) too fast of a rise time. Um, B, five, five data bits per character. ASCII uses seven or eight, true, but it uses two characters as letters or figures. Shift codes. ASCII has no letter. I I can only get it down to A or B, and I want to say the five data bits per character is ringing a bell, but I could be mistaken on that, but I'm going with B. Okay. Uh, The chat room, looks like those that answered were saying it was B. Uh, Number B. And I think that is a correct answer, and I would have got it wrong because I was going to say A. But let's let's see. Yep. Because I was thinking you wouldn't need two characters for letters, figures, shift codes, but apparently you do. So, um, yeah, that's a tough one. It's not something you think about every day. Yeah, and the only reason I got it is because I seem to remember the five bits from when Mm -hmm. we talked about this before. When was that? In the last, uh, in the general? I don't remember. No, I think we talked about some of this last month. Oh, did we? Yeah. We talked about, uh, you know, parody and some of the, you know. Digital communications modes. Okay. Rate versus bandwidth. I remember America. at some yeah. point you had a chart you showed something about the five data bits. Yeah. Well, that bits. was, I think that was okay. probably last month. When's the last time you used Bodoc? Um, never. I think I used it last in um, 1991 <laughs> when a friend of and I were playing with TNCs, and it was one of the modes. Uh, well, maybe maybe I played around with that stuff with you back then, or somebody, yeah. or you or Alan, or one of them guys. But I don't recall it. I don't ever remember doing it. But once we we're just going through the modes in the TNCs just and to trying see what them. you can do. Yep. I think we got um, oh for review. Look at episode one hundred three of Ham College. So we did talk about it last month. Okay. Because I made a note, see, episode oh, 103. Well, I would have thought I remembered a little bit better mm-hmm. than that from last, just from last month. But I mean, I got it right, but I didn't remember when I saw it. Yep. Bodot's first name was Emil. Yes. And it, yeah, it does remind me of uh, someone. Teletype machines. Okay, yeah. I guess they used Podot. They did. 
How many bits is Boudin? Because there was, um, I remember the, the UPI, United Press International Teletype Machines, yeah. when I worked as a disc jockey in the 1970s. Everything that came off that wire was in uppercase. Mm-hmm. So if it sounded like people were shouting the news in the 1970s. because <laughs> that's all they had to read it. <laughs> yeah. It's all uppercase. Yeah, that used to be the color weather radar too, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Color weather radar came in on you know black and white, black and white off the dot matrix. Yep. That's funny. One final question for tonight. Okay, what is one advantage of using ASCII code for data communications? A includes built-in error correction features. B, it contains fewer information bits per character than any other code. C, it is possible to transmit both upper and lowercase text. D, it uses one character as a shift code to send numeric and special characters. Oh, this one's easy peasy. What is one advantage of using the ASCII code for data communications? A, it includes built-in error correction features. Mm, I don't think so. B, it contains fewer information bits per character than any other code. No, I know that's not right. You just proved that wrong. Just the last question. Uh, D, it uses one character as a shift code to send numeric and special characters. No, it doesn't need a shift code because we have enough characters in the You just proved that on the last question, too. So at C, it is possible to transmit both upper and lowercase text. C, that's my answer. That's what everybody in the chat room is saying. Well, everybody except Kevin, I think he was saying uh, two bits is 25 cents. And he's right. Okay, it is C. And I kind of just gave that away. When I mean, we're talking about the teletype machines. Yeah. That is all well, the questions for tonight. We also gave it away when we went through the last question, too, like I said. I mean. Yeah. Yep. And this, was, uh, this was an interesting uh, interesting one. Again, I say that every time, but they are. If you get break these things down, it's really some cool stuff in there. Some cool yeah. technology we live think we're working with or yeah. playing with. And you really wouldn't I mean we were talking about Bodot and these these different modes on the TNCs and all that I was using back in nineteen ninety one. I was a technician. So I, I really haven't thought about all the underlying uh mechanics that make it happen. Yeah. So you got your ticket ninety one, I must have got mine in ninety two. I think you did, because I got mine in February. Jim and I did. Well, then I got mine in February the next year because I went to the hand That's right. and got it. That's right, because I only gave them once a year in Jackson, I think. Well, maybe, mm, maybe they gave That's all I knew about. That's all know. I knew about, too. So, I actually just renewed my license for the third time, 30-something years. I mean, I've sent in change of addresses. One time when I sent my change of address in, they actually changed my uh, my renewal date, 
some yeah. reason. I have no idea why, but they did. So anyway, just renewed for the third time. Yeah. Hope I make it to a fourth. That's a goal. Yeah. Uh, we were talking a little before the show tonight, and we had a question about how many more episodes are we going to have before we're finished with the extra exam? Yeah, that was on the uh, Logic Net. That was actually Tom. That, okay. WA2IVD that yeah. asked. Well, I actually looked it up, and I don't think Tom's here tonight. So he will miss the answer, but maybe Marty will relay it to him. If we go by the the same method we've been, which is roughly 11 or 12 questions per episode, which is one subsection out of the you know, out of the question pool there. There are enough questions left that we will finish the uh, extra exam uh, studying in nine months, which nine, will be nine more shows. Nine more shows, which will be May. That's about. Uh, that's one month before the question <laughs> pool actually expires. So go ahead and make your uh, yeah. your appointment now to go take your test that yeah. Saturday. Yeah, when we do that last episode on the extra exam, you need to you need to find a test session. Quick. I actually would I hope you get, you're not just like only doing that many questions yeah. per month when you're studying. Yeah, uh, a lot of people have already you know they started out with us studying on the extra. They studied on their own and went ahead and passed the test since then. And we encourage that do extra study. Don't don't wait on us because we kind of stretch out the studying a little bit. We're, we're, we're trying slow to get studiers. You, yeah. There you go. Clearly. Clearly. <laughs> so that's it for this month. I said, how many caps and gowns do you think we need to order? How many what? Caps and gowns. That's a good question. I don't know. I know we got quite a few graduates. If we lease them out, though, we probably only need a couple between people. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Just put it on, yeah. take your picture, and then go down there and hand it to the next one. Mm-hmm. Get your get your money back. Uh, we actually had uh, had a few people at the uh, Huntsville Ham Fest this mm-hmm. last. Uh, when was it? Two weeks ago. Yeah. That uh, come by their ham college graduates as well. So. A few of them out there. Yeah. What was I about to say? The next Ham College, September 29th. That sounds that right. Sounds, that works. Sounds about right. The next Amateur Logic, Friday, September 15th. That means the Logic Net will be Tuesday the 19th. And yeah. I will be in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania that day, that night. Yeah. Oh, you will? Yeah. Okay. Will you be able to join us? I could probably think? check in. I don't think I'd be able to call from the hotel. Okay. But, yeah, I should be able to join you. Okay. Um, Nigel says that he can do remote tests via Internet. Good. Uh, yeah, I hadn't heard a lot about remote testing lately. I, I'm sure there are people still doing that. Yeah, they are. I, I saw something the other day about that. So, somebody doing them over Zoom. Yeah. I, actually, that was at the Ham Fest, too. 
a lot of stuff okay. going on at the ham fest this year. Yeah, I didn't attend any of the forums. Yeah, me either, but they had somebody doing a booth that came by. I heard, I heard them talking about it. Yeah. Well, we had a good time over there at uh, Huntsville. Yeah, it's, it's always a lot of fun. If you ever get a chance to go, if you haven't, uh, check it out. Yeah. And uh, Chip, I guess he's still in the chat room there. Chip, I'm just going to, I'm only going to show this much. But consider my arm sufficiently twisted. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do the twisting this time either. No, you didn't. It's it usually me. All Chip's fault. Yeah, I'm going to go get mine tomorrow, more than likely. Yeah. I'm going to check it out before I get it. Though. Anyway, I'll be You'll talking You'll see more about, about that. that. Soon. Yeah. yeah. Well, Tommy, any final thoughts, any words of wisdom for the uh, the soon-to-be graduating uh, class? Man, I've, I've given up about all the wisdom I can muster for one evening. Mm-hmm. I don't even have any wisdom teeth anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. I still have mine. Where's that? George, have you been sitting on that all night? No, it was a little uncomfortable, Mike. <laughs> I, I had it sitting back here because I showed it to Tommy earlier. But I have some things to say about that. I'm not giving it away what what it is yet, but anybody could have guessed. But I have a, a few opinions, but I don't have enough opinions yet to to do a segment on, but I will soon. As a matter of fact, I don't think Mike will be here for the next Amateur Logic Think he's gonna oh, yeah, be, he's on holiday. Yeah, he's going to be gone. Do you guys call it holiday up there, Mike, or vacation? I'm sure they call it vacation. They may call it holiday, though. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they, there's some uh, things they, that... They do a lot of stuff yeah. similar to Europe yeah. over there. Both. Both. Yeah. Well, like, for us here, Monday will be a holiday. Yeah, but but when you take your week off and you take your family to the beach or whatever you're going to do, they call that holiday over, yeah. in, over the pond, over well, Nigel's part of the world. Yeah, you're, it's vacation here. Yeah, I catch myself calling it both, actually. Mike says mostly vacation. Yeah, I thought, I thought probably mostly. Mostly. I mean... There was actually a National Lampoon's vacation. And there were some Canadians in that, I think. Was no, it? no, there wasn't. I don't think so. <laughs> they didn't, go on, no, they they didn't have a National Lampoon's Canadian no. vacation. Uh, Chevy, Although that would be interesting, yeah. though. Chevy Chase wasn't, uh, <laughs> wasn't Canadian. I don't know about Beverly D'Angelo. No idea. I don't know. Anyway, I guess that's all I got to say about that. Me too. I think I'm going to go find some supper. Yeah, I think I'm going to turn oh, the air conditioner back on. That's a great idea. Yeah. It's hot, but it's not near as hot as it was last time we were in here. No. Yeah. All right. 7-3, everyone. 7-3, everybody. See you in a couple of weeks for Amateur Logic. Love you. Sounds good. Sounds good.